Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey folks, and welcome back to Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, the fan holes spinoff show where we talk about the Thunderbolts, or more specifically, we uh, go through the entire chronological history of the Marvel comic uh, Thunderbolts. And uh, we this is uh, episode, what is this, episode five now? Yep, episode five. Oh, wow. It seems like so long ago we started. <laughs> But in any case, yes, it's episode five, and uh, you know we we you know the formula by now, hopefully. And if you don't, it's like the first half of the show we talk about a a standard issue of Thunderbolts, and then the second half of the show we either talk about a historical uh, issue that relates to Thunderbolts or some kind of like special annual or you know side issue. That is, in fact, what we are doing tonight. Uh, in the first half of the show, we will be talking about Thunderbolts number four. And uh, in the second half, we will be talking about Thunderbolts 97, which is basically like their first annual. And uh, it's kind of like an origin tale, and it's like super essential, pretty much. So, yeah. But uh, joining me tonight are... Hey, what's up? This is Derek, Derek WC. I, I kind of feel like if I was Zemo, I would have been like, We are on episode five, don't! But since I'm just Derek, I'll, I'll just be like, we're on episode five. And this is Justin. Well, anyway, yes, let's, uh, I guess we'll start off with our the first half of the show, you know, Thun- Thunderbolts number four, which uh, I will read a summary of, and then we'll discuss that. Uh, Thunderbolts number four has a cover date of July 1997. It's written, of course, by Kurt Busick and penciled by Mark Bagley, with inks by Vince Russell, uh, colors Joe Rosas, uh, letters David Lamphere, and edited by Tom Brevoort. Uh, the title of this story is A Shock to the System. Static shock! We begin in Medius Reyes as the Thunderjet carries the Thunderbolts over the Adirondacks, headed towards a castle owned by Dr. Doom. The T-Bolts are joined by Holly Takahama, who is leading them back to the location in which she was experimented on. We flash back to a short time earlier, catching us up with the end of last issue, where Holly first arrived at Four Freedoms Plaza. She explains how she had been experimented on and altered, giving her superhuman agility and bioelectric powers. After explanations are had and Holly is taken by Songbird to get some new duds to replace her tattered rags, 
the team is off with her in tow, catching us up to the present. Meteorite consults with Citizen V, warning him that the new heroic roles the team has taken on may be too tempting to leave behind, but Zemo dismisses her concerns. As they arrive at the castle, Citizen V orders Holly to stay aboard the Thunderjet as they investigate. However, the rebellious teenager had Songbird make her a superhero costume for a reason, and she leaps after them after the T-Bolts have landed. Despite Citizen V's annoyance, the T-Bolts allow Holly to come with them inside. Citizen V takes Techno aside and tells him to secretly alert the press, since there is no value in them doing their hero shtick without anyone watching. Techno deploys two hover cams to follow the team without their knowledge, and they proceed deeper into the castle. The team is soon assaulted by a horde of shape-changing monsters, and Holly demonstrates her new abilities as she joins the team in fighting them back. Citizen V has Atlas demolish a nearby wall, and they discover the mastermind behind the genetically altered monsters and Holly's transformation as well. Arnon Zola, the biofanatic, has taken up residence in Doom's castle. Citizen V quickly deduces that Zola was the one who hired the Rat Pack and the Wrecking Crew back in issue 1 as well. Meanwhile, Techno's hover cams broadcast the confrontation to news stations, and not caring where the signal is coming from, the press begins covering the T-Bolt's latest adventure. The mayor's liaison, Dallas Riordan, holds a press conference and declares she'll be working to get the T-Bolts the same security clearances that the Fantastic Four and Avengers have historically enjoyed. Back at Doom's castle, the battle continues and Atlas saves Jolt from one of Zola's creatures, taking a protective Big Brother role towards her. Zola activates bio-defenses he's installed in the castle walls, and but Techno quickly deduces their power source and has Songbird and Moonstone wreck it. As his last resort, Zola has his creatures merge into a single amorphous monstrosity, and the T-Bulls prepare to engage it, only for Jolt to stop them. She has recognized the mutated creatures as some of the children she was protecting in the aftermath of the Onslaught incident, and reaches out to the combined creature. She begs her friends to try and get a hold of themselves so she can help them, and the creature does recognize her, but ultimately chooses to destroy itself rather than continue living a mockery of existence. Grief-stricken, Holly turns her rage on Arnon Zola, but chooses not to kill him. Techno's hover cams capture the entire confrontation, and all of America watches this latest chapter of the Thunderbolt saga. In the aftermath, the press wants to know if Holly is the newest member of the team, a thought that Citizen V had never entertained. Meteorite coaxes him into it, as it will help their cover story, and Citizen V asks Holly if she'd like to join the Thunderbolts. Holly accepts this offer and gives herself the codename Jolt. The press goes wild, and Meteorite smugly reflects that a new chess piece is on the board for her to take advantage of. The End so yeah, this this was an issue I missed like the first time around. Like uh, I think it was like issue two in this one. Like I never ended up getting a like copy of, and I only read it when I picked up that very first trade they had of like the first like set of issues. And like you know, it's obviously a very important issue, and I I don't know if I couldn't find it because it like introduces a new character or whatever. But Jolt will be a very important character for the next like you know. 50 to 60 episode uh, issues so and i guess episodes of this podcast too 
So, yeah, but I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to, like, what you guys think of this issue and, like, Joel in particular. It's kind of funny you mentioned you missed out on this because I missed it for, like, a whole month or maybe a month and a half because I remember looking for it at my usual place and they didn't have it. And I was kind of, I was kind of bummed out because I was really into this new book. And then I think I went to, like, a con or some kind of show in Knoxville and I found issue four and then issue five and the 97 annual that we're going to talk about, you know, later in this show. So, like, I think I read issues four and five on the way home. And then when I got home, I read that annual. So I had like a little Thunderbolts like a marathon that day, I guess. So I don't know. Maybe it was because it was like a new, you know, the introduction of a whole new uh, character. I don't know. Maybe if. Wizard was pimping in out and was like, this book's going to be really hot. You got to buy lots of them or something. But yeah, I, I kind of had that same problem. But uh, as far as the issue, like I liked it. Like I was really into learning more about Jolt and her backstory. And I I was kind of, I thought it was kind of neat that uh, Zola showed up. Like I always thought he was an interesting villain, just kind of based on his visuals alone. You know, the whole like camera for a head and all that. And I... The thing I always laughed at, and I, it, it reminded me when I was re- reading this issue, was those little weirdo monsters that he makes. Like, there's a certain set of them. They don't have heads, and I kind of – they're like – I guess that you would call them, Derek, you would call them asswipes because, like, they have, look like they have, like, an arsehole for, like, <laughs> on the top of their head. <laughs> so, like, those are Zella's, like, asswipe soldiers. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, this was a good issue, and I – uh you know, I liked it then, and I like it still. I, I kind of, like, when I'm looking at them uh, upon closer inspection, I might even call them, like, sphincter heads or something. Like, that's kind of <laughs> what they look like. The sphincter division. The sphincter head division. It's like, sphincter division! Line up! Yeah, yeah. I, I, this was, I think this is the last of the, you know, how I, 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 I guess I can now stop talking about this, but I think this will be the last mention of, going to that store near Stanford and getting the first lot or batch of Thunderbolts issues. Cause I feel like when, when I got the, the group of them off the stands, I think this was, you know, I think they, it had been out for a number of months. So I think I probably ended up picking up, you know, issues one through four all at the same time. And then I think after that I was probably, you know, buying them as they came out from month to month. So I don't, I mean, I guess it's easy to say, like, but I, I don't remember having any problem getting this, but that's probably because it was at a store that had plenty of copies of number four, and the things that might have been harder to come by were one through three, but they did have, you know, one through three hidden behind the mountain of copies of number four. So so that wasn't very difficult to find. I mean... <laughs> I guess I, I I don't know if if this is just old hat to everybody, but I mean I I feel like Jolt comes in a long line of archetypical young teen characters in a superhero group dynamic. I mean you because she's you know and and you know obviously like Jubilee is Chinese and and Jolt is Japanese, so there's there's a difference there, and I don't want to gloss over that. But I mean the first person you probably think of in comparison is somebody like Jubilee with the X-Men, not because they're both Asian or anything like that, but mainly because, you know, it's the nineties. You know, it's like who 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 else is the preeminent young teen, I guess 
you know, intern with the superheroes, but Jubilee, right? Like that's, that's the first person I think of. But I mean, if you, if you go back further, you know, you get people like Kitty Pride, you know, you get people like the New Mutants, you know, stuff like that that's going on. And, and so like that's something that I immediately think of. I guess what makes her different is, you know, she's not in on the gag, you know, like she, she thinks they're legitimate superheroes so she doesn't know that they're really the masters of evil and thus you know you've got a a nice setup for you know dramatic conflict because not only do they have to pull the wool over the eyes of the mass public when they're doing this masters of evil as superhero scam to the world like now they have you know, uh, basically it's, it's what they talk about in that first couple opening pages that they're, they're, they're playing their roles more than ever for an audience of one, the audience of one being jolt, you know, that, that they have to put on appearances even as they, you know, even as they go out into the field, you know, they have to put on appearances, you know, even, even privately in their, their flight over there. They can't necessarily be like, you know, don't cough, you know, like increase the speed, you know, like they, you know, they, 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 they have to sort of still, you know, kind of pretend they're, uh, uh, uh Jolt's like, how come, how come citizen B gets a German accent when we're alone? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, why, why every time he gets mad, he, he gets a German accent. Like what's up with that? You know, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, but as to specifically, you know, I, I guess I'm just trying to go into more what I, I think of Jolt. I mean, I, I guess, I guess it's a given archetype. Um, you know, the, the, the young teen that joins the, the group, but what makes it different is, you know, she's not in on the gag with the, the Thunderbolts or the masters of evil. So that does create a nice sense of dramatic tension. And, and then, and then I think she also kind of represents what it, it's like the physical manifestation of Carla Sofen's fears for the team. Like, like she's warning Zemo, like, you know, all these personality types that you've collected are going to be experiencing like the adulation of the public, you know, and that, that they were not typically accepted by society and, and they may be overwhelmed by their newfound popularity. But then you also throw in jolt into the mix is like, it's almost the physical manifestation of that because you've got guys like Jostin who's like, Oh, you remind me of my dead sister. Like I'm going to look out for you kid. So you've, you've immediately forged like bonds between her and the other teammates. And that's easily going to create, I mean, we'll see it later, but it's easily going to create some good conflict and drama later on in the series. Do you know what I mean? Because you've got, you've got those people that now, now they've got a young person that's looking up to them and they, they, you know, even though they are quote unquote supervillains, you know, some of them feel a sense of responsibility towards their, their new, you know, young, um, I don't know what the, the right word is. They're, they're new young, uh, you know, whatever it is, like fucking ward or what, you know, whatever, whatever Matt mascot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like that, that kind of, you know, they're new young tutelage or, you know, whoever it is, right. Like that, that kind of scenario. So like, uh, you know, as far as that goes, like, I mean, the, the only thing that that's kind of interesting is it's like, okay, well she can't be a mutant. So she was experimented on by Zola. And then she kind of has like these, I would say semi-generic. It's like it's like basically she has to have a good enough power set so that it doesn't look like child endangerment. So it's like, oh, she's got agility and strength, and she can blast people, and you know, it's like it's like it's not quite. You know, she de- she definitely doesn't have like a mutant power because she's not a mutant. You know what I mean? It's like it, it seems like the experimentation gave her 
a good number of powers, that she's fast, that she's strong, that she can also kind of do a, you know, almost like a wasp type thing where she's kind of got this, you know, jolty sting that she can take people out with. So it's like, you, you don't quite feel like, oh, well, even though she jumps out of the, their, their little, you know, Thunderbolts, uh, whatever it is, Quinjet or Thunderjet or whatever. It's like, it's like you kind of feel like, oh, okay, she can handle herself. She can jump out of planes and, 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 you know, take out like monsters and things. And, and you don't feel like she's being, it's not like you feel like, oh, they're, they're like, look, it's child endangerment. You know, it's like, it's, it's like you've kind of feel like she could probably handle herself, you know, for the most part. The only thing is it's good that she's got other people looking out for her in this team scenario. So she doesn't get like overwhelmed. Like, you know, when, when Atlas takes the time to kind of look out for her and everything. Um, as far as like the issue itself, like, I mean, there, there's some interesting things. Like I just had a few kind of notes that I wrote down, but like the, the, the one thing I thought that's worth talking about since, you know, we, we are known for our, our Transformers love is there's the line in the beginning where Moonstone's basically like, like those popular children's toys of a few years ago, there is more than to us than meets the eye, you know? So it's like, oh, okay, there's a little Transformers reference right at the outset. So I figured that's worth mentioning and then the other thing i was thinking of lately is like the 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 sequence with fixer techno you know just pulling his little hover mini cams i mean it's funny like it's like one of these like star trek type things where at the time that was you know it's like far-flung science from the future you know at the time because of when this was you know released like back in 97 that kind of was like you know, something that was, you know, Doc Brown, you know, like back to the future science that we just didn't have. But now it's kind of like, we kind of have that, like we kind of have like little drones or little, you know, people, people have little fucking propellers on their goddamn iPhones and they can take little drone cam pictures and all this other stuff. So it's like, now that's almost like a reality. So I was kind of thinking of that when I was reading this, where it's like, oh, you know, fixers technology is not quite as fantastic as it was back when this was first written and everything. And then other than that, the the only other thing that I I would kind of take note of is I guess, I don't know how to explain this, but like Arnim Zola, like I guess I traditionally think of Arnim Zola as having like kind of nutballs, Kirby blue cupcakes type stuff going on, whether it's like with Doughboy or whatever his creations are. And like, I think, his experimentation with ha- Haley's friends and like the 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 kind of combined horror show that he unleashes on them, like I guess that reminded me more of like a a Bernie Wrightson type monster. Like it kind of reminded me of like the thing that Spider Man fights in Amazing Spider Man Hooky. Like it's a little bit more Akira esque and horrific, and like I guess. It's not a criticism, but it's just that was something that I sort of took note of where it's not quite, you know, I was expecting Doughboy and I got, you know, I got Akira. Like, I've, I've always liked Joel. Like, I, I like I, I don't think she's, like, annoying or, you know, anything you could describe any of those, like, you know, kid sidekick characters as. And, yeah, it, it definitely, like, her hook is basically, yeah, that she's she's oblivious to like, you know, that she's in a den of wolves basically. And, you know, and uh, conversely, like they're all being like 
more influenced by her presence and they're already kind of tip it's like some of them are already kind of tipping to the you know the other side and now they have like another reason to do so because you know this kid that looks up to them and whatever so like i think this this is a good element to add into the mix at this stage and uh I've always liked her costume. Like, I think, like, Mark Bagley designs, like, really good, like, superhero costumes. And, like, you know, it's got, a, like, a lightning bolt motif. Like, it tells you exactly, like, what her deal is. Like, I like those weird, like, bubble goggles she has. And, yeah, like, it's another good, like, Mark Bagley design. I think another thing that's interesting about this issue in particular is that it it, it kind of shows you the brave new world that they're in over here in Marvel post onslaught, because, you know, you, you basically, this is the, the villain equivalent to it. Like if, if you're saying like, okay, well the Thunderbolts took over for freedoms Plaza, it's like, well, now you've got Zola who's taken over, you know, Doomstadt castle or whatever, you know? So it's like you, you, you're, you're sort of building up like, oh, there might be a confrontation between the Thunderbolts and Doctor Doom and then, you know, they kind of pull a fast one on you. But it's still it's still a reasonable and sizable threat, you know, Zola. And so it's like and it's interesting that like, oh well, you know, uh Doom Doom's out of town, so now I'm checking up in his pad just like the FF is quote unquote out of town and, and the Thunderbolts are shacking up in their pad. No no it was weird and I wanted to ask you like like, I get, like, they say it's, like, Doctor Doom's castle, but, like, I, it's kind of like they, they say, like, the Thunderjet flies over the Adirondacks. And then I'm like, okay, so what are they, headed towards, like, Latveria? Like, like I, I was like, where exactly is this castle? And then, like, at the end of the issue, there's a ton of, like, the press there. And I'm like, what? but wait, I was like, wasn't, like, it says, like, the broadcast is going out across all of America, but where is this, like, press coming from? Because, like, in Latveria, are they in Latveria? Like, I don't know where all these, like, you know, the, these news trucks are, like, driving up from. They, I mean, they would have to be in Latveria because they're going to Doom's Castle. I mean, they're um, unless there's some other castle somewhere else outside of Latveria, but I, I think... I think the concept is supposed to be like they're coming from the broadcast, not that they were just hanging out in Latveria. Like, I think the idea is between the time it took them to like fly to the castle, set up the mini cams and have this epic battle with this, you know, amazing Spider-Man hooky Akira monster, like all these press people that are like you know basically like there there should have been a clip of jay jonah being like somebody get get yurik on a flight to latveria you know we need somebody there now for the bugle or whatever and it's like then they flew out all their people so now they're like just waiting outside for when you know once everything is there and and like you know they, they say minutes you know so it's like okay well obviously they're you know I don't know if they're taking like supersonic jets all the way to Latveria or whatever but I I think that's you know that that's the no prize right like that they it's like they they saw some of this broadcast on TV because of Fixer and then immediately the news media you know swarmed to to get the you know, yeah, basically get the like, scoop I, I of so. the aftermath. Like, yeah, like I guess so. I guess like in Doctor Doom isn't currently around, but I'm like, did you really like get past like the, into Latveria's borders like that easily? Like almost like it, it's like a, 
like I, I guess it's because like Doctor Doom isn't around and like the border isn't like secure and there's no like you know Doom bots roving around and shooting down people or whatever. But I, I don't know. I guess you have to accept it. But it was just it struck me as weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I mean, you 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 bring up a good point. I mean, I don't I don't think there's anything illogical about what you're saying. It's just you know you're you're just accepting a convention of the storytelling that that the whole point of the Thunderbolts is the reason why they're doing it is for media exposure. So then it ends with media exposure. I mean, to, to sort of assuage your criticisms, they could have had the news vans pull up at Thunderbolts headquarters a few days later and then had the same press conference. Like, but I think in order to sort of force Zemo to, add her to the team you had to have a sense of immediacy like you you couldn't just if he had a few days to mull it over he might have not let moonstone talk him into adding her as a member of the team do you know what i mean so you sort of had to have that you know oh the press are here now like you've, you've got to give them a story now like you can't wait a few days. Yeah, and decide, it, uh, you know? yeah. It's like I understand. It's just it just it struck me as sort of a plot contrivance. I yeah, guess. no, 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 no. You, I I think you're right because I mean it, it's like to 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 make what you're saying make sense. You, you might have waited a little bit, but if you wait a little bit, then Jolt joining the team seems less realistic. So it's like you you kind of had to pick and choose, and he basically was like, ah, well, who gives a shit about the Latvian border? Like, what's more important is my story about jolt joining the team so i want that to be the you know the primary focus and also have that have more of a sense of you know verisimilitude than you know it's like it's like if they were going to have some a problem breaching the latvian border then you know you would expect them to get attacked when they flew over with the thunder jet right like they would have been attacked by doombots then and so if if the thunder jet's not being attacked why why would the press be stopped you know what i mean like so i don't know yeah i don't know if you guys noticed too but because it, it comes up in a later issue but this is like one of the first cracks in their facade to the public because this the whole battle is being broadcast live and at one point techno calls meteorite moonstone and like people like in the letters page, I remember reading like people noticed that and thought it was like maybe an error. But like it turns out like it wasn't an error. And it was like Kurt Busick, like planting a seed where, mm. you know, they they review the tapes later when the secret comes out and they're like, oh, yeah, he called her Moonstone like instead of Meteorite. She she even calls him Abe at one point. I think Songbird does. So you'd think they might be able to catch that yeah. on tape too, but I, I don't know if that comes up later or not. But you'd think that like Fixer could like edit it in real time or something, mm. but but I guess his recording technology is still stuck in 1997. Maybe they were too busy worrying about sphincter heads to edit their <laughs> their faux pas, and he probably didn't realize he did it too, right? Like. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. that, it's like, how, how, how do you correct a mistake that you don't realize you made, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine if like the monster didn't kill itself and like, you know, Moonstone was like, you know, Zemo, we have to let Jolt and this amorphous blob thing join our team. Like <laughs> you have to feed it string beans and mashed potatoes. <laughs> so yeah, Justin, like any other thoughts on this issue? Something I noticed in reading it this time is, 
it seemed to me like Bagley was putting, and I don't know if this was like intentional or not or what, but it seemed like he was putting Jolt in a lot of what I call like Spider-Man like action mm. poses. I kind of noticed it this time around. I was like, oh, she's like doing Spider-Man things when she's fighting or just kind of like jumping around or, or whatnot. And then like the very last page where you get like this close up of her face and then the extreme close up of her eye, you know, it kind of like it looks like it's vibrating and electricity is coming out of it. I remember I originally thought that maybe she was under Zola's influence somehow and like she was like a sleeper agent and in the team and like he knew who, you know, the Thunderbolts were or something like that. That was my original like fear, I guess. I was like, oh, that's that that's uh, ominous. I'm going to keep an eye on her. Yeah, I remember. At, yeah, back then I used to wildly speculate about any kind of panel I thought was kind of ambiguous or, you know, yeah. something. So, yeah. Especially, especially like with this book, because like once I read issue one, I was like, oh, my God, like what else is what else are they lying about? Basically, I didn't mention it, but like Moonstone or Meteorite like narrates this issue. So this is kind of like sort of her spotlight issue, even though it mostly focuses on Jolt. And like, you know, you kind of get her Starscream ways, like, you know, in full effect where she's, you know, manipulating Zemo, like, you know, psychoanalyzing him and her teammates. And like, I mean, it, it's, it's I, I think it's a testament to Kurt Busiek's like handling of all these characters that he can, you know, on the cover, it's like it's Jolt, like, you know, and it's a Jolt intro issue, but it's also like a Moonstone issue. But yeah, and anything else on this issue or is like. Have we said all we need to say? I mean, it's not it's it's an important issue, but it's it's kind of straightforward too. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, just getting Jolt on the team and, you know, further advancing a bunch of plot points like, you know, Songbird is getting more confident using her powers like Atlas, you know, establishes the big brother like connection with Jolt. And yeah, I mean, it's all it's, it, it's things move on at a uh, steady clip. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that's that's kind of a little off-putting is like you're like okay well meteorite moonstone you know is kind of trying to play a long-term game with zemo as far as coaxing him into having jolt come on the team so you kind of wonder what her long game is like does she want them to be exposed does she just want enough leverage over zemo that she can have more of a stake in what's being done, like that she's going to be, you know, the queen to his king when all the plans come to fruition. Like, you're, you you know, you're, you're kind of wondering about those sort of things. But, yeah, I mean, for the most part, like you say, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward story. The art's very well done. The writing's very well done. And um, also, you know, it's it, like, like we were always saying, I mean, it does play with, with fun aspects of the Marvel universe. You know, you've got them fighting Ar- Arnim Zola and that's to me is something that's appreciated where you're like, Hey, cool. Like this is not just, you know, some, some new random character or whatever. You get to see them interact with people that would, you know, maybe not necessarily know the Thunderbolts on site, but have meaning towards their hidden identities as the masters of evil. I guess that's it then. Like, I guess we should, uh, we'll have a little commercial break and then we will move on to Thunderbolts number, uh, well, Thunderbolts 97, like their first, I guess it's annual one technically. But yeah, so uh, stay tuned. Trekker Talk. 
a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by writer and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series. Special episodes feature interviews with Ron Randall himself discussing Trekker and his other comics. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit TrekkerTalk.com. Trekker Talk is part of the Rad Adventures Network at RadAdventuresNetwork.com. Hey guys, so we're back, and as promised, we're going to be discussing the Thunderbolts annual, Thunderbolts 97. And this has a cover date of August 1997. The on-sale date was June 4th, 1997. Its cover price was a whopping $2.99. And it has a laundry list of creative talent. I I feel like this is like a slam-bang edumacation on like comic book art and talent here. It's written by Kurt Busiek. But the first uh, couple pages and some of the uh, last couple pages are penciled by Mark Bagley, the, the standard regular Thunderbolts artist. But we've got Bob McCloud doing a number of issues. We've got my man Tom Grummet doing a number of issues. We've got Ron Randall of uh, Trekker doing some issues there. I'm like, there's a subtle hint, Mike. That's the trailer you should play, the, the Trekker Talk podcast. Uh, you know, or whatever. But so we got Ron Randall in there. We got Gene Colan doing a number of issues. We've got Derek Robertson doing a number of issues. We've got George Perez and Chris Marinin doing a number of issues. And you know, what's crazy is I'm like sitting there going, I've, I've basically met all of these people in person, except for Gene Cullen, who passed away before I ever had a chance to meet him. And I've never met Mark Bagley, but everyone else on that list I've met at some point. So that's kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, you've got all these folks doing, you know, the uh, the pencils. Um, you've got Al Milgram, uh, Will Blyberg, Scott Koblish, Jim Sanders, Tom Palmer, Bruce Patterson, Carl Kiesel, and... Andrew Papoy doing the inks. It's edited by Tom Brevert, and the editor-in-chief is Bob Harris. And I will go ahead and give you a brief synopsis of the annual, and then we'll discuss it. The title is called The Origin of the Thunderbolts. So here we go. Following the team, testing the nature of Jolt's powers, Jolt begins to question Citizen V on the origin of the Thunderbolts. Citizen V then begins telling the story of how he found each of the various Thunderbolts members while leaving out the grisly details of their past as the Masters of Evil. As Zemo, he first recruits the Fixer, who eagerly accepts to joining Zemo out of sheer boredom and the need for a new challenge. While Fixer assists Zemo in attempting to rescue Goliath from the cosmos dimension he is trapped in, he then recruits Screaming Mimi as a new member for his latest incarnation of the Masters of Evil. Following the death of Mimi's partner, Angar the Screamer, Zemo next recruits a disgruntled beetle. 
Zemo aids Beetle's escape from the pursuit of Daredevil with mini bombs and offers Beetle a membership in his new Masters of Evil. When he returns with Beetle, he is given a list of equipment needed by Fixer, who in the meantime has rebuilt Screaming Mimi's Larnix with aspects of Claw's technology, giving her the ability to create solid sound constructs. He then begins Mimi's training in her new powers, as Fixer and Beetle upgrade Beetle's armor to become Mach 1. However, Zemo's plans to decimate the Avengers are dashed as he watches the heroes give their lives in battle against Onslaught. The team is then successful in rescuing Goliath from the whirlwind that is the Cosmos Dimension, after which arresting Goliath jokingly has the idea that he and Beetle should go apply for the jobs of the Avengers who perished battling Onslaught. Zemo overhears Goliath's joke and hatches his own scheme to replace the Avengers with his Thunderbolts. When a supervillain jailbreak occurs at the vault, the Thunderbolts test out their new identities to stop the jailbreak, but also to recruit Moonstone as the final member of the team. And that pretty much, in a nutshell, is Thunderbolts Annual 97. Uh, you know, what's interesting is this was not part of that lot that I bought when I first got into Thunderbolts. And I I think, I kind of think this is the first time I've ever read this. Like, I don't think I had this annual. Like, even though I had a, a you know, I know I had like the first 13 or maybe even 15 or 17 issues of the Thunderbolts. Like, I know I read this for about, you know, a year and change, but I don't think I actually had this issue. And th- this seems to be a pretty seminal important issue you know detailing all the the backstory of of how they all sort of hooked up and everything and i you know there, there's certain things like the my avatar i think is like my favorite one i'm pretty sure it's bob mcleod but what's kind of cool is it seems like he's almost channeling you know i i feel like bob mcleod inking mike zek for so long some of these panels make me feel like i'm seeing Baron Zemo stepping out of the pages of the, like, the J.M. DeMatteis, Mike Zek era of Captain America. Like, it's picking up from where that left off somehow. So, like, I, I really did like that, that sort of opening the Search Begins panel. Like, that's probably one of my favorite panels in this whole book. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot of great art from all kinds of different people in there. You know, you've got the, the Ron Randall stuff with Angar and Screaming Mimi. You've got, you know, the, the Gene Colan stuff with the Beetle and Daredevil, which is really cool. And then, you know, you, you, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of cool stuff. And then who better than, than George Perez to do the, the crazy Cosmos stuff, you know, with all this kind of machinery and flim flammery that's going on with that. So, you know, and then th- this is something I wanted to ask you about which I thought was weird was I, I kind of took notes on who was breaking out of the vault. And, and I just wanted to ask you, Mike, like, isn't that weird? Like I, I was like the number one Kane looks like fricking, I don't know. He, 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 he ends up looking like um, one of those green arrow villains. I can't think of his name now, but like, you know, where it looks like he's almost like, you know, Rastafarian or something like that, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, like it's just, it's just a really weird, crazy interpretation of Kane from the Spider-Man books. And then again, I feel like I keep having to thank you for stuff like this. Cause like you, 
you brought an Avengers annual I had never read that kind of felt like a prequel to the the Rogers Engelhart Silver Surfer book, which I loved, and I was like discovering this unknown thing. And while this is not quite as as awesome as that, like what I thought was kind of hilarious was, and they 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 list him by name. It's funny in in Comic Vine they incorrectly list it as the chameleon because it's a guy with a white face in a prison smock. But apparently if you look at the, you know, if you look at the narration and everything, you know, it says the escapee list was impressive. Mandrill, the UFOs, radioactive man, speed demon, madcap, the wizard and hydro man. And I'm just like, that was madcap, this guy, you know, in the prison smock, you know, and it's like citizen V is, actually fighting madcap so uh, what i guess what i was going to say is i was like oh thanks for introducing me to a madcap appearance i never knew it existed <laughs> yeah. you know like because it's like that was something i was like madcap for reals like that's yeah when i reread this like and i hadn't read it reread it in years i was kind of like oh it's like one of my favorite like obscure guys like kane and one of Derek's like favorite obscure guys like madcap like escaping in the same like prison thing yeah Wait, that's like, that's supposed to be kane what yeah yeah, yeah that's, I, I that's did not supposed... recognize him. I was like, he's, "Who's that guy?" I don't he's, know. He's—I feel like who, who drew that? A gene, is that the Gene Colan pages? No, or? no, 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 no. That's um. Let me see. I think that's Chris Marinin that drew that. Okay, because well, it's, it's, it's it's after the it's after the George Perez stuff, and then I, I wonder if. He must like, have been referencing like Kane's last appearance, which was probably that Mike Zek miniseries, mm. like that was like a sequel to Lost Years. Yeah, like uh, I forgot what it was called when it was him versus like blonde-headed Ben Riley. But Kane kind of looked that was like the Alan Moore Kane, I guess, mm. like the one that <laughs> had the full beard. And but I, I don't know where he got like it almost looks like Kane has like dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kane's like, Spider-Man's rubbish. <laughs> that Spider-Man's rubbish. These Thunderbolts are rubbish. <laughs> he's like, when Atlas is like picking him up, he's like, I'm not going to watch your movie. Oh, I, I just thought of who I was thinking of, I think. There's a there's a Green Arrow villain named Brick. And like that's kind of what Kane looks like. Oh, uh, Vinnie Jones? Yeah, well, you know, on, yeah, on the show, it's Vinnie Jones. But, like, if you, here, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll show you a, um. So he's like, no cake for you. <laughs> no cake for you. Here, here, I'll show you a, uh, interpretation of what he looks like in the, the Kevin Smith, um, or the, the, the Phil Hester, whatever. Anyway, that, that, that's what he looks like in the comics, sort of, like what I just posted, but... Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Anyway, like, to me, it, it reminded me more of the Green Arrow villain Brick than Kane, and that's why I kind of did a double tick where I was like, that's Kane? Like, for real? You know? But yeah, I, I kind of wrote down everybody in case we wanted to talk about it, or somebody, you know, one of you guys were going to ask me, like, who's this guy and who's that guy? But basically, like, in this vault breakout, you've got Hydro-Man, Mandrill, you've got all the UFOs, Ironclad, Vapor, X-Ray, and Vector. We talked about Madcap and Kane. Uh, we've got Wizard in, like, Prison Togs, which makes it pretty hard to recognize him, but that's the Wizard. And then you've got Orca, Speed Demon, who's also also in prison togs, radioactive man and armadillo. I, I thought it was kind of ironic that radioactive man is there in the break at the yeah. you know, the initial appearance it's of speed, the speed demon too. He's yeah, a future yeah, yeah. thunderbolt. I, I guess yeah. yeah, they're both future thunderbolts in the making. So yeah, but yeah. I, 
I, I thought that was Chameleon 2 until I read the dialogue, but I'm looking over it now. I must have just glossed over the part where they say Kane because they say the Armadillo, Orca, Moonstone, and Kane. I guess I just glossed over after Moonstone. I, I can see why people would be confused because the colorist colors the face white, so you you might you know think like, oh, yeah, Chameleon because it's a white face. But then if you kind of look at the way it's drawn, he kind of has like that, that happy, grin. the happy grin or whatever, yeah. you know, so it's like, okay, well, if they had just colored it yellow. The other thing that's kind of weird about that, though, and this is getting too deep, is, like, Madcap doesn't look like that. Like, that's a mask. So, like, really, it should be, like, you know, the way, like, Speedball would look in, like, prison togs. You know what I mean? Like, just a, a dumb blonde kid that's, like, in prison togs. But then I guess that wouldn't be visually very appealing. I was just gonna say, it, like... It almost doesn't even make sense that Kane is like escaping because like he willingly turned himself in like at the end of that Mike Zek like mini series or whatever. Like mm. he was going to like p- try and pay for his crimes. But and then like the next time you see him after that, which is way, way after the clone saga has ended, it's like he's on the loose again. So it would almost, you know, it would maybe almost have been better if he wasn't shown being like recaptured. But then again, it's like the vault and like all those super prisons are like revolving doors for like, you know, super villains. So I guess it doesn't yeah. matter. But but yeah, like what do you guys like think of the rest of this? Like, uh, like I I. I remember buying this like in the like when I recovered a bunch of like back issues that I had never read before and like I had never read this. Like I, I like I really liked like again, like you said, Derek, it was uh, a seminal, like super important thing. Like like it, it was there for like flashback like store like it, it was kind of like a, a sequel to that minus one issue, but it's taking place more in like, you know, more immediate like the more immediate past, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed reading this. I mean, I, I didn't realize, you know, that there was a story like this where it's sort of kind of, you know, basically it's like uh, how, how Zemo got the band together, essentially, you know, like I, I, I didn't realize that there was something like this that existed. And so like, I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And again, like I, I did enjoy seeing like, th- this is something I think that works. Like so, sometimes when you have like different artists do different, takes on things it becomes disjointed and i i think it works in this sense because they're each separate chapters detailing how each member sort of hooked up with zemo so it's like you've got tom grummet doing most of the fixer stuff you've got ron randall doing the screaming mimi stuff you've got gene cullen doing the beetle stuff and then you've got uh derek robertson kind of doing not necessarily anybody in particular joining, but he, he does a really nice sequence where Zemo kind of, you know, like loses his motivation, I guess, you know, like he's watching the, the outcome of the onslaught series. And, and he almost has one of those, it's not quite as angry as like Aussie Lex gets when Superman dies, where he's like breaking the chair over the, the casket and is all like pissed off and stuff, but it's like it, he he does kind of have that Lex Luthor moment of like I was supposed to be the one to kill you, not not this doomsday thing, like not this onslaught thing, like you know. And, and but but he he, he kind of reacts to it a little more emotionally, where he's like, now what am I fucking supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like and 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 then of course you know with 
the Cosmos section, then you've got Perez doing all that stuff where they, they basically recover Atlas from from this Cosmos universe, which you guys had me look up, and apparently that comes from a, a really crappy issue of 90s Avengers. It's uh, issue 382, and I, I, I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's it, it's like apparently Justin made some deal with the the beings in that dimension and he voluntarily agreed to go there because he thought he would be able to enact vengeance against the Avengers, but I guess according to this he's he's basically now stuck in that dimension and and you know is trapped as opposed to being now, it sounded like he was, he started as a willing participant, and I guess Hank Pym couldn't free him in that Avengers issue, so he was still stuck in that dimension. And I guess this is how Kurt Busiek, you know, keeps within the, the realms of the shitty 90s continuity that existed at the time, but also sort of releasing the character out of the toy box so he can now play with him and everything. And then, then like we were saying, Chris Mar- Marinin does the, the jailbreak sequence, but I guess getting back to my thoughts on that is like, you, you know, you've got Bagley doing almost like the bookends and stuff like that. And then you've got all these different artists doing the different chapters essentially. So it's not so much of a disjointed feel. Whereas like sometimes you, you know, sometimes you can get the idea, Oh, some artists started a title and then, you know, I don't know, there was an accident or something happened and they couldn't finish their deadline. So then somebody picks up from page 17 on just to, get the book out on time and that you know you can tell that that wasn't an artistic choice or decision you know it was just a decision based out of necessity whereas these all feel like strategically picked you know choices that were done for artistic reasons it's like oh well you know who better to draw daredevil and the beetle than gene cullen you know what i mean like like that it was kind of specific like who better to draw zemo's emotional breakdown behind a mask when he sees the avengers you know and the ff get taken out by onslaught than Derek robertson you know who better to draw all these crazy fixer doohickeys and all this stuff than, than Perez, you know what I mean? Like, so that I think is, you know, essential to making this, this book work. You know, I think I, I don't mean to disparage any of the artists that work on it, but I was like, I, I think maybe if they had switched Marinin to the beginning where Zemo comes into Fixer's house with the elevator and made Grummet the one that did the jailbreak at the end, that might have worked better, because I think I think Grummet would have drawn everybody to kind of spec or whatever, or even, even if you had per- Perez do that too, I mean, obviously Perez is great at group shots and stuff, but, you know, maybe he was kind of tired or, you know, or, or, or didn't want to just do that. Like maybe he was more interested in doing all the machinery and stuff, but I, I think those artists might've worked better in the, the, the jailbreak scenario. Madcap would have been more identifiable and Kane wouldn't be like Rastafarian, Alan Moore or whatever. Covered in uh, degenerative clone, whatever that is, you know, like he's got a <laughs> bunch of, he's got a bunch of turds on his arms or whatever. You know? <laughs> I like reading Zemo's narration and comparing it with, with what is actually like happening. And then like, uh, what is he, how he describes like Moonstone is like, tries to explain her origin where he's like, Oh, she was like some new age, like 
hippie like therapist or whatever who like you know got alien powers through like a harmonic convergence or something like i don't know like that sounds believable right well she even she even she even calls him on that she's like new age philosophy expert baron harmonic convergence thank you so much i'm sure you know like like so even she kind of gets a kick out of his embellishments i guess you know like it's it's like he he, you know and and the and and there's those fun parts where he almost catches himself it's like i assembled them to battle to battle with the avengers yeah that's it to to battle alongside them yes yes of course you know like so there's there's those funny bits too where he kind of you know, you can see him getting carried away in the passion of the story where, you know, he, he, he might have slipped up or whatever, but but sort of catches himself in the middle of, of telling the tale, you know. What do you think of this, Justin? I, I really liked it. And what I remember is I remember bringing this to a buddy of mine who was interested in the Thunderbolts. I I didn't want to let him read my copy of Thunderbolts number one, so I kind of brought him this. Like, I, I don't know, I guess I was worried it might get damaged or something. So I guess I thought this would be a good jumping on point and it would give you a lot of backstory. Although, you know, it, it doesn't have the same impact as the first issue. But, I mean, he, he already knew that the Thunderbolts were really the masters of evil. So I thought this issue would provide a whole lot of um, backstory for the characters, how the team came together. And it, I think it... It answered a lot of questions that I had, like where where some of these characters come from. Like I, you know, I was asking you off air about the whole cosmos thing because I had no memory of that. Even even though I guess it comes from like the bomber jacket era, I guess I like deleted that from my from my head. Well, thoughts. that that I I sort of you know when I was looking at it again when you asked me about it before we started the show, like I reckon it was one of those like flip book ones where it was like double sided mm. and like it. Okay. it I I feel like and this is just me, like, I feel like it was, like, one of those things where I would have read, like, one side of it because I liked the Diodato art or whatever, but then I would have flipped it over to the, I think it was, like, Jeff Matsuda that I was saying with, like, I think it was, like, Klaus Jansen or, I don't know, something really, like, a really off pairing, and I I probably would have flipped over to the other side and been like, ugh, I'm not reading this, you know, like, 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 (laughs) it just, it just looked, like, really, really awful, so, like, I I could kind of almost get, like, why I don't know, like, like why that was easily forgotten. Like, like, I mean, I mean, Jostin was pretty much naked in the cosmos dimension the whole time. It's not like you could even, it wasn't like he was like super identifiable as Goliath anyway, you know, like even in that issue. I mean, mainly it was, it seemed like it was a showcase for Hank Pym to like, you know, go to that dimension and, you know, maybe do some good guy stuff. And that was kind of the end of that story. And, and, you know, ultimately Jostin's just left there. Um, something, something I thought was funny was, um, near the beginning when Zemo's like kind of having his little temper tantrum or whatever, like he's like, there must be some uh, dimension I can invade and a population I could subject to my will. <laughs> and I was like, that's such a thing that like the shredder would do, like, not like Baron, you know, I don't know. That's just what I thought. <laughs> You know, when Zemo's confidence is not at its peak, you know, he starts going for, for Shredder plans, you know, like, he, he's feeling down, you know, he's not like, you know, he, he's not at the top of his game, he, he's not feeling like super, super confident, nobody's like, you know, 
swiping swiping right on his tinder or whatever hey well you know? when 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 cap when cap is wearing a shield on his back it's like a turtle shell so i mean like, <laughs> yeah yeah it's like get this man some java java hey where's the java i'm trying to remember was that was that an issue issue four or this issue i'm trying to remember why i went down the the baroness rabbit hole like why did that I was do that? Issue. Yeah, that, because Zemo makes the comment that his wife is dead. Like, oh right, something. right, right. Okay, okay. And then, and then he talks about that. Yeah, which which is which is a weird rabbit hole to go down. Like, do you know? Like the first appearance of the Baroness. The the Baroness was like a villain in a Spider Man graphic novel where him and Silver Sable team up to stop this like. I don't know, like Eastern European terrorist lady. And she's like this, I'm trying to imagine like Daryl Hannah from like Blade Runner, but like she's Eastern European and like nutty or whatever. And looks like Sharon Stone from basic instinct or something like that. And so she's got all this like oozing sexuality and crossing her legs and all this other stuff. And, and you're like, Oh, well she's the, the big bad of this piece. And then by the end of the story, which you know, you find out it's actually what Heinrich Zemo reincarnated as a chick. Like that, that, that was the spin. That was the <laughs> twist was, and he's like, he's like, who better to be reincarnated as than a hot babe who distracts people, <laughs> you know? And you're just like, wait, what? You know? And so like you're reading this and, and then, and then it's like, now it's like the old, like Heinrich Baron Zemo mask, but with like the body of like a hot, like, swimsuit model and you're just like what is going on this is so weird and then and then like he he freaks out and like thinks he's disfigured or she whatever i'm so confused thinks thinks she's disfigured and she like rams her head into a mirror and like makes herself more disfigured kind of dr doom style even though she was never disfigured in the first place and then she hits the self-destruct button and then you know spider-man goes back in and is like i'm gonna try and save you oh well you're too crazy to be saved and then he swings out of there and the castle blows up and you'd think that would like be the end of it right but then later that character shows up and you know get ready to feel like this is super icky for all of five minutes before I explain the retcon. But so, so then that character shows up later in Grunewald's Captain America run, the, the, the 12 year fucking run at the tail end with the fighting chance, like horrible, like super armor run. Right. And so helmet and the Baroness are now married so let that sink in for a minute. Like, like he's like, as far as you know, like I'll explain it in a minute. But like, on initial, like, like when you first flip open the page, you're like, wait, so, so helmet, wait, so you married his father, who's a hot chick? Like, what the fuck? Like, what is going on? Like, this is weird. And they have like this cadre of kids, right? Like, they have this whole family of like little. They're all dressed up like little Baron Zemos, and they're boys and girls, and they're pulling guns on Captain America and shit. Anyway, this shit is crazy 90s, crazy fucking bullshit, right? So they're all dressed up like little Zemo kids, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, he married his dad. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, so, so you're like, I'm like freaking out about this. And then... So, but then luckily Grunewald retcons it, because there's a scene where, like, she's talking to somebody... 
And it's like they have some kind of it, it was like a female power broker. And it was like one of these things where it's like, oh, if I inject you, you know, you'll get more superpowers or whatever. But she's like, let me just make sure, though. She's like, this only works on women. So if you were the original Baron Zemo and then you became a woman when you reincarnated my, you know, my, my power broker serum would not work on you. And then she's like, no, no, that's fine. That was just the story I told the rubes. Like, so she's not real. you know, it's like some, you know, it's like Nebula saying I'm the granddaughter of Thanos, but it probably isn't true. It's like, so that's what Grunewald retconned it to. And then I guess, I don't know, like, like, cause the dialogue says what, that, that his wife died at some point in prison. And I don't, I don't see where that happened on panel. Like, I think Captain America fights with Zemo, our Zemo, and, and like, they, they, they both have pristine, like, nice faces, but then the Adhesive X gets back on his face, and then he gets disfigured again, and then they both fall into the vat of Adhesive X, but then he pulls them out and sends them to prison. So I'm guessing in between that time and th- these issues... Somehow she, I don't know, she got shanked in prison or something. Somebody was like, still thought he was Heinrich and was like, that's weird, and shanked her. I don't know, whatever. Like, some, something <laughs> like that happened, you know. <laughs> that's weird, shank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, fucking Tombstone's like, you mean I was wanking it to Helmet or, or Heinrich? Like, that's so weird. Shanks her. <laughs> and but, what is, no. like, how did, like, then how did Helmet know that? He was like, no, my father wife. <laughs> My fossil wife. At any point in this story, was a princess crown involved? Um. <laughs> <laughs> that explains things. Is is that is that it, it, that's kind of like Fixer having technology before it existed? Like this is the Bowsette before Bowsette existed, like thing. Like I guess, yeah. But then, then he had to die to use the Bowsette crown, because, like, Hitler's like, I will totally hook you up, Heinrich. I have this crown, and we will wear it together, but we have to die first. You know, and it's like, what? Like, all right, whatever. But, yeah, so, so yeah, that's that's a weird bit of wacky, crazy um, Marvel history that I felt like sharing with you guys, because it makes my head hurt. Yeah. Don't give me no crap about DC's complicated, because I just explained some complicated Marvel <laughs> shit right here, all right? So does um anyone want a Marvel Legend of Angar the Screamer? <laughs> I'm sure Derek will take one over an apology figure. Uh, yeah, if if it's over an apology figure. You know, he came, like, he came back, like, recently, like, I, I forgot where, I think it was, like, in that U.S. Event, a Avengers or whatever book or something, he was part of some, like, evil group or whatever, but, I mean, like, he had come back sort of before that, like, in, later in Thunderbolts, like, there's this sonic creature named Scream, and then it turns out it's, like, Angar's, like, essence, like, distilled into, like, audio waves or whatever, but like cool. I, I don't I don't know if they ever explained how he came back to life or if it was like a a new one or whatever. But he kind of like I guess he, he gets shot and he doesn't even realize that he's been shot and he's like, hey babe, like uh oh I've been shot by like and dies <laughs> like <laughs> used up all my power. Like Angar made it onto TV. That's that's more than most of these people can say. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Was he on that Avengers cartoon or No, he was on that he was on the Agents of uh, Boring or whatever. <laughs> Agents of Boring. Oh, that's right, yeah, I remember. 
I'm like, he's he's technically he's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Angar the Screamer. Dear God. That's that's pretty much the, the annual at least and, and, and it took me down that weird uh Babe Heinrich path or whatever. It's <laughs> yeah, it's my like, I, I had to know because I was curious about that too. Like I was like, wait, I think like my only exposure to that character, like the Baroness Zemo, was like a Marvel handbook entry she had, like in an issue, a back issue I had. So like I was kind of like, oh yeah, like that's how I knew who, when I first read this issue. That's how I knew like she existed. But I was kind of, I, I think I just assumed at the time that it was like a Kurt Busiek hand wavy thing, and it probably mm-hmm. pretty much is like, oh like I don't want to deal with this father wife character. <laughs> yeah, so she died. She's dead. They they didn't really they didn't really explain the legions of little Zemo children though. I don't know what happened to them. I guess they all got shanked in prison, too. Yeah. <laughs> Zemo has some weird appearances, like, in the 90s, like, before yeah. this. like Yeah. yeah. You, did, you, did you ever read, like, his appearance in, like, Spectacular Spider-Man, like, under J.M. DeMatteis, like, where he's, like, I, I don't know, like, it's a we- another weird, like, story featuring vermin where it's like weird like jam Mateus psychological shit or whatever yeah. like and baron zemo's there and he's like he's like i will not wear my mask anymore and he's like walking around without his mask and looking like you know hamburger or whatever right, and right. spider-man's like oh put your mask back on you look gross like you're gross i want to eat my burrito in peace but yeah, no, no, I, I really do like this annual and it it's it's something like I guess I, I feel like it's something you don't see much anymore. Like this this many like high talented people, like especially like George Perez lending like mm. his pencils to like this. I guess this is kind of a precursor to the music Avengers run, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it was just back then in the nineties where I mean the comic books are a little more I don't I want to say revered now so it's like you know you wouldn't know it but like back then it was just like these guys were just doing it for you know their paychecks nowadays I feel like if you you say oh George Perez is going to pencil something you're like well what what is George Perez going to pencil like you know it's got to be something huge mm. yeah, yeah I I think that's it do you, do you guys have any other like thoughts or no I think I'm I think I'm good okay Justin I did too. All right. So this was episode five of Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning. And uh we're you know, we're trucking along. Like like I, I think I locked these guys into it. So I mean like we're gonna keep doing this until we die. And, hey, uh, you you yeah. locked me in till post death. Apparently yeah, my, exactly. my Casper ghost is gonna be doing yeah. the show, so Unless I get uh, carted off into the Cosmos dimension or something. Yeah, exactly. Justin's going to be carted off into Cosmos, and I'm going to have to rescue him to continue doing this podcast. And Derek is going to be reduced to sound waves, and he's just going to be this... Is that before or after I marry my reincarnated father with a (laughs) Bowsette hat and have Uh, this army of uh, little Zemo... Freaking children of the corn, children, or whatever's going on with these guys. No, well, 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 when you return, we'll hand wave that away. You'll just be like, nice, oh, he, nice. he, he, she died. Yeah. <laughs> he, she died in prison and was never really Derek's father at all. What happened to all the little children? We have no idea. They're, they're all with Mayday somewhere in the ether or whatever. <laughs> awesome. Well, Derek, why don't, why don't you do our usual spiel? 
Yeah, so if you've enjoyed listening to Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, we have plenty of other shows for you to check out over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Of course, you can find the backlog of Thunderbolts episodes there. We, in addition to having the Thunderbolts episodes, if you like comics, we've got our comic book show, Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them? We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got the Fanholes podcast proper, where we talk about all things pop culture related. We have Mobile Suit Mondays, Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays, and Sentai Saturdays. So yeah, if you've enjoyed Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, please consider checking out those other shows. We, of course, appreciate all the likes, feedbacks, shares, retweets, etc. that we receive. We're on all kinds of social media. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. We've got a Tumblr, a Twitter, an Instagram, a Facebook. So please check us out on the social media. If you want to send us some angry emails if you're like what the hell it's totally cool that Zemo married his own father and that she's wearing a Bowsette hat you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com so yeah this is Mike signing off this is Derek Derek WC I'm Audi 5000 and this is Justin well you step on my power Mimi goodbye not a yes sir not a follow up with the moan, have a seat in the foyer. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder, 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 Classes while well, I was scheming for the masses. Who do you think you are? Dreaming about being a big star. They say you're basic, they say you're easy. You're always riding in the backseat. Now I'm smiling from the stage while you were clapping in the nosebleed. She's like, do you love me? Do you love me, Angar? Of course I love you, baby. I will be with you forevers. Oh, wait. (laughs) A stray bullet ricocheted me. I totally lied to you. Now I'm dead. I will love you until I die. Is is that that because screaming Mimi is just that hot that he didn't notice? He was shot until like 30 minutes later. I love you so much it makes my chest burn and my blood like slow. And wait a minute. Is it, it, did we just cast like Sam <laughs> Neill as like uh, <laughs> Angar? Oh, Sam, Sam Elliott. Yeah. Sam Elliott. I, I just saw the mustache and yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to mention, too, like the one thing that they haven't invented yet that Fixer mentions is like he has a virtual reality video editing software where he says, like, I've got Godzilla like in Casablanca. And I mean, I, I guess we someone can do that, but it's not like, you know, probably easy. Face it, kid. We had a beautiful friendship. 
That, that's like some Ready Player One shit right there. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, Godzilla in France, World War Two. Go. It turns out Godzilla married his own father. <laughs> And the dog's howling. For some yeah, reason. It's episode five, dog. <laughs> <laughs> He's happy about it. You, were... you are overjoyed. Okay, you done? You done, Loki? <laughs> this is what you get for naming the dog Loki. Clearly. He is yeah. a trickster. God damn it. It's like every time I was like, okay, now? It's funny how, like, he was quiet for the half hour we bullshit before we actually started recording. But now he knows. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. My roommate's got him out, so I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, my dog barks at stupid-ass shit, too. Or he hears other dogs barking, so he's like, oh, it's a bark party. I gotta go join the bark party. Okay, maybe. Maybe. I think he stopped. Okay. No. <laughs> Teleport a taco directly to me whenever I want. <clears throat> that seems like a useful, a useful uh, invention. It's like it, it steals a taco from an alternate dimension <laughs> and like plops it here. But like you know, years down the line, I'll have stolen so many tacos from alternate dimensions that I'll, I'll like have destabilized the like space-time continuum or something. Man was not meant to play God with tacos. <laughs> <laughs>